I love to see people achieve their true potential because I see a lot of wounded souls in here. Sure. And what's nice is when you see that person just flourishing because yeah. I've seen that many, many times. All right. Welcome, everyone. You know, for this live interview, we're going to be talking about the state of flow. And I was thinking, like, who would be the best person to actually interview for this topic? And I thought of you. He's been in Hall of Fame in so many different things. He's a multi-Iron Man. He's an author of four books. He's also publisher of TriFit Quarterly, a national triathlon magazine. He's the announcer in Iron Man and voice of Ultraman. He's an expert in mental fitness, especially in endurance sport. He is a registered clinical counselor specializing in addiction, trauma, PTSD, and of course, let's welcome Steve King. <laughs> Thank you very much. So today we are actually very privileged to talk about how to achieve the flow state as an endurance athlete. We're going to be discussing about the mental psychological aspects around being in the flow state. Then the next thing is that the opposite, which is being in a state of self-sabotage and the difference your attitude can make just being in the flow state. Before we talk about the state of flow, I wanted to ask you, how long have you been in sports? How young are you when you got introduced with sports? Could be swim, bike, and run, the yeah. Ironman. Tell me more about it. And why would well, you well, listen to you, Steve? Okay. So literally my very first day at school, I remember us uh, going into the playground uh, before going literally into the building. And there was a teacher there who had us line up against a fence. And he said, I want you all to run to this fence, touch it, and run back. And uh, we did so. And I was the first person to finish that. And he said, I want you all to do that again. I don't think he believed I touched the fence or something. Did it again. And he said, OK. And he picked the, the first of us. Uh, there were about half a dozen of us. He said, you guys see me later on today. I want to talk to you because we, we have had some championships. And from then wow. on, I always loved track and field and then got into cross country later on and uh, got into race walking after college and then started doing marathons because I was a member of a, a, a great club, the Ilford Athletic Club in London, right. and just went on from there. It's funny you said race walking. I think race walking is hard because you have to like <laughs> do like this. It is. <laughs> it could well, be hard, actually. <laughs> it's very, very hard. A lot of people see it and they're amused by it. And understandably, uh, but if you look at what people are doing for 50 kilometers, the world record is like three hours, 33 minutes. And uh, a friend of mine, Evan Dunphy, on a treadmill just a week or so ago, he recorded 39.04 for 10 kilometers on a treadmill. Wow, that's amazing. It is. I, I've seen I've seen your, you know, uh, part of me watching of your timeline in Facebook because I always see world records in your time. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> Steve is actually known to actually collect all the records, uh, especially in Ultraman. And uh, let me let me ask you, Steve. So, so Steve, with, in terms of, so you started as a runner. Yes. And then the next thing is that how, when did you decide to actually run a bad water course? Oh. Well, bad water came about because um, I, I knew I was running into uh, problems. I, I was having major knee pain, couldn't run the, or train the way I uh, had been. Uh, I was out one day for a walk and I, I thought, 
I, I need to retire before I do any major damage. But the next question I had for myself would be, or was, uh, would I have any regrets if I stepped aside from racing? And I, I loved racing. I really did. Uh, and yes, a, a voice said to me, you would have one regret that you never went to the start line of the, the bad water bad water. Race. Yeah. And what year would that be? Uh, 2001. 2001. Mm -hmm. And you were, correct me if I'm wrong, were you one of the first two finishers at the time then? I, I was fourth first overall fourth? at that time, but I was the second only Canadian ever to second have finished only. it. There you go. The first Canadian was in uh, 1991, a gentleman called Joe Marchand, and he just lives 40 miles north of me, actually. Wow. Looks like a buddy in your neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing to share history with. Well, and then the next thing is that Iron Man came about, and then also Ultraman. How are you in that sports in uh, Iron Man and Ultraman? Did how was the experience on that? Well, it was awesome because um, in 1983 we had our very first triathlon here, uh, which is still going, which is the Peach Classic, and. I had uh, come up with an idea that we should uh, host a triathlon and I, I, I checked things out with a couple of people, um, Lynn and Mike Van Ert and Al Johnson and uh, Frank Gere. And uh, Lynn and Mike moved ahead with it. They did all the work. Um, I just did the announcing. And then within a month, we had an iron distance race here. This was 1983. Wow. And on, on the morning of the race, they said, would you announce it? And so... I did. That was my first announcing gig for an Ironman distance race. So that was 1983. And uh, I was so enamored of the event, I decided I, I needed to race it myself. Actually do it yourself. Year. So I, I, bought a, yeah, I bought a bike in May of that year, in 84, and then uh, did the race. And I, I had a fabulous race for me. I, I beat the previous winner's time Perfect. by like 51 seconds and, um, and uh, came six overall. And, th and that was... Uh, I've only done the Ironman here four times, but I've enjoyed it every single time. And uh, the rest of the time I've been announcing here. That's amazing. Steve. And then the ultra, the Ultraman came for the first time in 1993. I did the announcing again. I was enamored of the event. So I raced the event in 1994 and I came second to uh, Nick Mallet of Australia. And Nick right now is in Noosa, Australia, where Ultraman right. Australia is happening right. this right. coming weekend. Right, yeah. right, right. So it looks like you have to do it first, and then you became an announcer. You so in fact, when you're an you're being an announcer, you know what the athletes are dealing with, and I think oh, that's a sure. great advantage, right? I think it's a great advantage. I really do because uh, you know there's the depths that you can go into. Sometimes the physical depths, there's the emotional depths. There's the issues that you can have with crew. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You, and, uh, and also the incredible satisfaction of a shared, wonderful experience. And again, there can be a lot that happens, but hopefully the wonderment comes also at the finish when you reflect on uh, the solid friendships that are made as well. Right. Well, one, uh, the very first time that I actually met Steve King was back in 2015 when I first participated with Ultraman Florida. And, and my experience with him during the very first time was that he asked me, it's kind of like he has this, of course, his voice during the interview and asked me first, like my background. And I didn't know what he, his intention was, but then that was the time when I realized, oh, he is the announcer 
So he's actually getting to know me as an athlete then in back in 2015. So what he has been doing with a lot of Ultraman participants is actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, is getting to know the participant of their background and having the story to tell and uh, drawing when they finish and actually get to know them. Is that correct, Steve? It is. That's what I love to do because I, I love finding out what the backstory is for people. Why are they there? What has got them there? Um, because there's nothing like uh, shifting your attitude on the race day, the beginning, to, to recognize how fortunate you are. And especially right now, I mean, for instance, the Australians, they're going to be so lucky given this pandemic to be standing there on a yeah. start line. And so for me, it's more like I also want to talk story. I want this to be meaningful in every possible way for the athlete and for the crews. So I tend to ask questions of the athlete, also of the crews, to make it more like family. Because one of the pleasures of finishing an Ultraman, just like I am, man, is you become part of an incredible family. family. You know, and I get to see, you know, someone who may have had a disappointment one day and then come back on a third day and be the fastest female across the run finish line. Yep. Yep. I totally agree about that. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, like, I think what's best about you is also because you, you can put yourself in the situation of the athlete. You ask the right questions and you bring about a story. When you make that announcement, people can actually feel like they're in that race because of the way you just bring the story to come to life. And I think that's the amazing part of you as an announcer, as an athlete, and someone who's been a legend in basically in different endurance sports. And we appreciate you being that person, Steve. Well, thanks very much. That means a lot to me. And I, I have been so fortunate, Gene and I often say that, how many people we've met through sport and uh, very, very positive people, but everyone has staff. And it's like, that's one of the reasons you mentioned to me you know, talk about possibly about flow and self-sabotage. Everyone's got history of some sort. And if we can clear those things, because often for people, sport is a means of sometimes putting it at bay or avoiding the void, so to speak, right? But if, if you can clean and clear that stuff, then you get the full appreciation for life as it unfolds, as opposed to, you know, we, we, we know that depression is nearly always about the past. And uh, anxiety is nearly always about the future and it stops people if they've got those sort of issues from being fully present and authentic and when you're in that place man the difference is phenomenal that's amazing so the state of flow is really important it would be very beneficial for athletes to actually know on the other hand what i wanted to have clarity is that what is flow before we even go into that because some athletes they're like they just train and that's basically it. And yeah. the next thing you know is like, oh, I need to do that. You don't know what you don't know unless you actually know the, you know what it is, and it's happening already or not happening. So let's define what is flow, Steve. Okay. Well, firstly, uh, if you think of who is the number one person in terms of flow, the the most recognized person would be uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, I could spell the name, but it's, it's t I remember how to pronounce it, but it's tough to spell. Uh, but he's the guru. He wrote um, uh, a seminal work. It was called Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience. And he talks about people being happiest when they're in a state of flow. It's a state of concentration or complete absorption with the activity at hand and the situations as they're unfolding. It's a state in which people are so involved in the activity 
that nothing else really seems to matter for them. Um, most of us would now call it, you know, being in the zone or being in the groove. Sure. It's an optimal state of intrinsic motivation, he said as well. And I love that um, because if you think of absorption, it, it means engagement. It means fulfillment. It means all the skills are operating, coming through you, which includes things like time, food, ego, self as well. And, and uh, they're typically ignored when you're in that state. You know, so that's another reason in, in Ultraman, for instance, or Badwater, yeah. it's good to have a team. Because sure. you may not be cognitive of these things. You're in the flow and things are unfolding, but you may be suddenly forgetting you need some nutritional needs. Sure. So he talks about, I think, um, uh, nine different states of achieving that uh, to get to that place. And, and I, I can list some of them for you. There's balance, merging of action and awareness, uh, clarity of the goals, immediate and unambiguous feedback, concentration, co consciousness, autotelic experience, which... Uh, mm -hmm. It's an interesting one. Uh, he looks at that as uh, being a trait possessed by individuals who can learn to enjoy situations uh, that most other people would find miserable. I remember there's Christian Isaacson. He's, he's a really nice guy who's done Ultimate. I know him. Yep. And he said it, it's like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because we people who are into ultras of any sorts, you know, they enjoy suffering to some level. Suffering is inevitable at some level. But what do you do? You discover more about yourself. You discover about the inner workings. I've always had a problem with the people who say I gave it 110%. No, you didn't. It's not a fact. You cannot give 110%. However, a lot of people can give 94, 95, not, you know, 96 possibly percent. You know you're done sometimes when you, you've hit a finish line. But let's say the event was another mile. Would you still crawl it? You know, how would you get there? You would have paced yourself differently. Let's say you ran into problems. You know, there's how are you getting yourself through? What has stopped you? What has pushed you beyond what you've done before? And it's when you push yourself, you will never know what your limits are until you've actually gotten to your limits, right? And so even talking to yourself, something I use as a counselor for myself as well. If I'm sitting here and I'm feeling... Um, I'm not sure what to do next, something like that. It doesn't necessarily happen too often because I like to go with the flow myself. But sometimes I'll just say to myself, I use the word coach, meaning I'm looking for that independent expert observer part of me that knows me better than anyone in the world, right? If we were having a convention on Steve King, I should be the main speaker. The same with yourself, Shangri-La. You mm -hmm. know, it, uh, and so when you look at that, I use the word coach as a way to call upon that part of me. And if I call upon that part in my office here, it may say something like, just shut up and listen. <laughs> in a race, it may, it may say something uh, like, um, you need to eat more, grab some of this, or ease it down a little bit, you know, or save something for the last 10 miles, whatever it may say, but that's the wisdom. And that wisdom has come through after many years of experience. Gotcha. So when you're saying that, do you have like a third person to check in about that, whether you're in state of flow or not? Well, I personally don't, but um, lots of people now do have coaches. When I was uh, racing, very few people had coaches. We, we had local club like track and field coaches. They were not paid. They would turn up and sure. they would just tell you, spin around the track a few times, do this, do that. You know, there was not the ability because of internet and the ways we can uh, communicate these days that uh, it's so much easier. 
you can have someone you totally respect but live 15,000 miles away from, you know, right. that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wonderful that people will look at the coaches now because it is an independent expert observer, but yeah, they only can observe. Yeah, they can only observe as much as they know of you as well. You know, yeah. because sometimes they're left guessing. There was a famous 10-kilometer runner from Portugal years ago. He used to really sabotage at major events. He was a world beater. He had done like 27.30 at the time, which I realize now is, wow. is not considered the, uh, the sure. very front of the field, but it's a phenomenal time. And what's yeah, that? Fernando Mamedi. What would happen is uh, he would uh, be everybody in the nationals and um, uh, some international events. But when it got to uh, major games, European games, Olympic games, that sort of stuff, he would always blow it. And it was so sad to watch that sort of thing. So, I always wondered what was going on for him in his head because we can have self-sabotaging thoughts that literally affect our bodies as we're doing it. A cyclist, for instance, if, if a cyclist has had a back wheel wobble at some point and sure. it was a very negative experience, yeah, they could be going down the same hill some while later. And if that memory comes to them or they start to go, oh, this is where I got the shakes, you know, or the wheel went, Could affect that again. can start to happen. If someone has had a negative experience on a certain course, um, that's anathema in a sense. They never compete to their full, sure. full extent or ability. Again, that can play in their mind. Oh, there's that hill that I suffered on last time. Right. Uh, and people can experiment. There's an experiment I ask some clients to use when we're doing some testing uh, on the value of inner talk. Let's say you regularly do a track workout. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's say you, you do 800 meters and you're going hard and you just want to see the difference between positive language inside the head and negative language. If you ran 800 meters because you don't want to bore someone silly. So if I look at 800 meters is enough to see if there's a difference. So if you run 800 meters and you push yourself to the same extent and inside your head, you're saying the words, I can do that. I can do that. Uh, and that's why I'm saying you don't do more than 800 meters because it will drive you nuts. <laughs> but you want to hear that sort of positivity, right? And then you oh, time okay. it and you see how you feel and the time you recorded and the flow state you hopefully felt in or not. And you do the same maybe a week later, but you say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this for two minutes. And yet you're still pushing yourself and you'll notice the difference. So, uh, I do some things like uh, apply kinesiology with certain clients as well. And I will I get them if, if they tell me what their, their goal is. It's also um, muscle response uh, training as well. Uh, contact reflex analysis. It has a number of different names. Mm -hmm. But I, if they tell me, for instance, I want to go um, 10 hours for an Ironman, um, I will do apply kinesiology on that for them to say, and I want to do a, a sub 10 hour Ironman. Now, let's say they test strong on that. I will then get them to say, I will record a sub 10 hour Ironman. Okay, now they may test strong on that. And the third one is, I deserve to record a sub 10 hour Ironman. And often that's when the muscle stops responding. And so there's a weak point there. And it's not to, to cause any damage, it's to rectify that because there are simple ways you can actually correct that. So I work a lot on uh, correcting a state of reversal because reversals are when, let's say you're having a day. If at work, 
uh, everything seems to go wrong or you're in your house and you're literally tripping over things or figuratively, you're saying East when you mean West. Uh Uh, And at the end of the day, you're saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm having one of those days. That's an obvious state of reversal. But we can wake up in a state of reversal simply because we've had an unpleasant dream or there's something toxic in our thoughts. And so I start off the day by doing a series of uh, uh, exercises, so to speak, that sort of make me clear and present so that I'm there for clients and Mm -hmm. for myself. So I can notice sometimes if I have certain foods. It's not that I've got an allergy, but some don't sit so well. Ah, I can notice an energy shift. So I'll redo that. And it's only like three minutes uh, to do those things. So now I have another question for you, Steve. So let's just say that at the time of the race, I before the race, I said, I will get sub 10 on Ironman. But yeah. during the race, something comes up in my head that could be causing that I may not get sub 10 just because yes. of the external factors. Let's right. just say I got a flat tire, right? Yes. That could add up. Yes. How do you go about it in terms of actually kind of reframing, getting the athlete back to the state of flow when everything is just like so much pressure, especially at the race? Well, that's a great question. I I think one of the things, if you've been in the sport a little while, you've probably had uh, days that were painful. And I don't mean physically, they may be, but painful in terms (laughs) of you didn't hit your goal and days where everything hopefully went well. And so when you've had that sort of experience, that's when you can look at an, your attitude. If you look at the last thing you can do before you start an event, it's to determine your attitude. And you and I have spoken about an attitude of gratitude before and what that really means. Mm-hmm. I've had both. I used to race purely for results. And then later on when I realized I wasn't being the best me. And by that, I mean, I wasn't thanking volunteers. Uh, I wasn't being kind to other athletes. And I didn't like that in myself. And I, actually, I, I literally sat down and chose to, uh, to change my attitude. And I said, I need to appreciate these people out there. I want other athletes to do their very best. If that means beating me, that's perfectly okay. That's awesome. But one of the other things we can do, you see, is ask ourselves, how am I going to feel about this tomorrow, the, the decisions mm-hmm. I'm making right now? So number one, you can determine your attitude. So let's say every single race has some lessons. So if, if a lesson because of a flat tire or something and you're losing time was that in order to change a flat tire as efficiently as possible, I need to be calm and collected. Okay. So, all right. What okay. do I need to do? If I get upset and uptight, we saw this with a German racer at one Ironman before in Hawaii, slamming his bike down. I mean, you have seen oh. that sort of stuff, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he realizes it, the race is getting away from him. But you see... Yeah. I've seen people like Scott Molina um, fix a flat tire and, and just and miss did. out on first place by 30 seconds, you know, uh, to Ray Browning one year. I mean, that sort of stuff can happen. Uh, but, but it's also being pleased that you kept your mindset at a healthy level. You chose a good attitude because what you're then learning is your own ability to be adaptable to the circumstances. What happens if the water is choppy or it's very cold or they suddenly say you can't wear a wetsuit? You know, what happens if you're going long on a swim for whatever reasons or you come out and you had a time of, say, an hour and you've just done an hour 20 and you're going, oh, my goodness, it's screwing everything up. But you see, if you go, 
well, that's the way life goes. And I'm going to continue to be my best. Let's see how we can unfold this. Exactly. You know, we, we had a gentleman here who's won uh, the Ultraman World Championships, Kevin Kutjar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's from Australia, but actually lives in Penticton. He won the Worlds in 95 and he won here in 2010. But in Ironman one year, head of flat, couldn't fix the bike because something else had gone wrong. He literally ran the last 10K with the bike. And then went out and he blew one of his fastest marathon runs on the course. So he came away feeling good about that. Jeff Simons has done the same thing at Ironman Canada in Whistler. Uh, Everything had gone wrong, almost could go wrong on the bike. But he said, I'm going to do the best I can on the run. And he blew like a 241 out on the run. So you, you can take that and know, wow, what's going to happen when I'm fully in the flow and life unfolds and the race unfolds without any of these aggravations because we're all seeking the perfect race. But part of the problem with the perfect race is it's a setup. Yeah. How do you go back? It's like, oh, can I ever really beat that? So I think yeah. we always need to have that little bit of a fascination left that keeps us in the game. And that's adaptability because there's going to be a point where a pro is an age grouper. There's going to be mm-hmm. a point where an age grouper can no longer hang on to people 10 years younger, five years younger, and you move on and you adapt to the age group. And that's why we have age graded rankings, which is a wonderful thing to keep people motivated. I think that's also a beauty because, you know, whenever you you're able to adapt things that it's so new to you and being able to be calm is part of the process. Yes. It, takes, it also makes the experience a lot more interesting. All right. right. Okay. So the next question is that, is it true in terms of the power of the words you say to yourself, either by words or in your head, that does affect big time in the state of flow? Can you explain more about that, Steve? Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. If you think of people who have fears, phobias, anxieties, they're carrying them with them. What are the words that are going to come through to them? I haven't trained enough. This is too much. I, I'm never, I've never got any speed when someone's beside me. I hate it when whatever, right? Or even as simple as, oh, my goodness, I haven't got my favorite drink. Yeah, handing me drinks I haven't absorbed before. I mean, I've been handed a drink one time. I was asking for water. Someone gave me Coke and I just poured it on my head. And it's, you know, Coke is sticky and unpleasant. I, like I know you still did it. Right? And so... The good thing is I was in a place where the volunteer and myself both laughed. Some athletes have cursed at a volunteer. And I mean, that's most upsetting. And, and I'm sure the athlete feels terrible later. But these are ways we can correct in advance by literally reminding ourselves we're the lucky ones. There are people out there who never get the ability uh, financially, physically mm-hmm. uh, to actually stand on a start line and challenge themselves because most of us, if we go to a 5K, for instance, we, we know pretty much within a few seconds what we should be capable of. But the wonderful thing about some of the ultra distance events is you never know what you're going to encounter on the day. And so the wonder is, how do you come through those things? Because life is like that, too. Look what the pandemic has thrown at us. How are we handling it personally? I mean, I, I am missing a lot of races, but, you know, I've, I've sort of adapted and I'm doing my best so that I'm going to have no regrets. I've been taking lots of courses online and put my own courses online, you know, as well as taking them. So you're you're basically saying, Steve, that even though when things get hard in in life, such as the pandemic, like when we started last year, there's still a lot of opportunities for us to practice the state of flow. And is that something that we should be 
you we should take more effort and energy to take advantage of that because it's a given circumstance. Yeah, it, I've got a little piece here on people who are good copers. It's I wrote a piece called The Art of Thriving. And I said, uh, uh, there's a psychologist, Suzanne Cabasa. She identified three attitudes that sustain such individuals uh, during demanding times. And of course, they can be plenty, uh, including right in sport. These attitudes are called the three C's, challenge, commitment, and control. So that even when they cannot control the outer situations, they realize that they always have control over their response to the things that are happening. There is a wise saying that relates to that phenomenon. Of course, suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. And that was uh, Norman Cousins who said that in the anatomy of an illness. Um, I've got something else someone said. This is a workout schedule for improving your emotional fitness. Uh, Are you okay with me mentioning this? Oh, yeah, please. Okay. It says, find one thing to appreciate about a tough situation. It could be worse, obviously. Don't let anger or resentment live rent-free in your brain. Practice forgiveness. And that includes forgiveness of the self. You know, in case you've done something wrong, if, if you're being rude to your partner or your team or a volunteer, you can apologize straight away. Uh, find joy in the process. That's very important. People want to scale the highest mountain without necessarily realizing it's the journey and getting to get there that is the really important and enjoyable thing. And uh, find joy in the process regardless of the outcome. Sincerely listen with care instead of trying to fix it. Most people people simply want to be heard. Move beyond rigid mindsets and learn to be more adaptable and flexible. You could be wrong. Be open to the unpredictable nature of people and life. And remember, repetition builds stronger emotional muscles. And so to me, that emotional choice we have uh, is the attitude that we've talked about. And it's that attitude that uh, puts us in a flow state. As someone once said, um, it's easier to feel great when you don't go around life expecting it to be fantastic. Right, right. Actually, one of the things that I've practiced, what I believe also, Steve, is that, yes, we are training. It it requires muscle exercise, but at the same time, our mindset does require exercise. And what, what, how I see it is that whenever there's a challenge, actually to, to me that's more of an opportunity to actually hey i gotta use that opportunity to actually practice my mindset because when it's race day it's much harder to actually get into the state of flow but if you've been practicing and training your mindset wise it's much better and it becomes automatic do you agree with that see uh, yeah i totally agree with you i think you know, there's a few things that I do. Um, if you if you look at performance, for instance, and um, uh, the three elements for comprising the healthy levels of performance are the most positive ones. They are ability, uh, focus, and motivation. Uh, in ability, it's it's the idea of uh, potentialities that are developed, and, and they're refined by knowledge and experience. And obviously, the longer someone's in something, and the more willing they are to absorb the lessons, the more they're going to get because uh, focus, and that's um, uh, really taking, narrowing your uh, knowledge and refining the experiences. So you're honing in there. Um, you, you've also got to modulate things like your energy levels, being able to calm down uh, and yet also to energize yourself at will. So what is the thing? Let, let's say you're looking at a clock. I've seen this many times that I am where um, let's say you want to be a sub 10 hour performer. 
and you've you've got maybe 200 meters to go and the clock is reading 9:59:10 or something like that right yeah. or you're you're someone who wants to go inside 17 hours and you're 100 meters to go and you can see 16:59:30 on the clock now one would hope under both circumstances uh, that the the crowd alone can lift you enough but you may be seriously struggling. So how do you pull that out of yourself? You've got to hold on to that. I can do it. I can do it. See, that's where it would get really handy. Or if you're on a sprint finish with someone, if you chose not to hold hands or come across together and you said, I need to beat this person, they're in my category, or I can't wait for them because they're going to be one second over this hour mark. And the other is motivation. The reason that people do something incorporating um, their perspective, their ability to generate uh, short and long-term goals and the flexibility uh, to, to move from one to the other where they, where they need to, because even in transition, look how many people you've probably seen or, or experienced and I have <coughs> where they're missing some gear or they've gone to the wrong sure. place in the transition or they've forgotten something. We had a gentleman not long ago ended up wearing his wife's wetsuit because he had forgotten <laughs> his own. Uh, yeah. And that was in a long swim. And I mean, it was yeah. really uncomfortable for him. But, but the good thing is, when he turned up wearing it, he had a good laugh, and we all did. You know, we felt for him, but he was okay. You got to do, do what whatever you got it to takes. Circumstances, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, Steve, what I wanted to ask you: How about those athletes that, besides, you know, like the difficult times of COVID, how about those athletes who are actually struggling with PTSD, addiction, trauma, and also an endurance athlete? let's say those people who are still currently struggling with that, what would you advise to them? Well, uh, sadly, if, um, if training and racing has become a way to avoid legitimate suffering, uh, I would say, please do yourself a favor because it's not, I'm not suggesting it's easy, uh, but you're doing yourself a favor by honoring the part of you, the younger part of you that was hurt, wounded in any way, shape or form by healing that. It's one of the reasons I, I came up with uh, the style of counseling I do myself. I, I, I am a specialist in uh, addictions and trauma. So mm -hmm. if people have that stuff, it, yes, it gives you energy. Yes, it, it's like anger. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we are driven by anger, that can get you a long way. But the sad thing is you're still being eaten away at from the inside. It, it's still toxic. So let's say you had anger on a scale of zero to 10 at an eight or nine. That may not be doing you much of a favor. However, if you were able to reduce it to a one or two, it's still accessible in terms of performance enhancing, but um, you're still then able to get on with other things in your life. So much nicer to turn that around to enjoy the engagement of warriorship. Got it. So it's more manageable. That's what you're Way saying. Way more manageable. You, you want to because have it you, managed. You've literally lightened yourself up. You're not no, nothing or no one is getting free rent in you. And that can mm -hmm. include images as well as emotions. And, and bear in mind, emotions are energy in motion. So we want you to have them, but we want you to have healthy emotions so right. that you're pleased. You give someone the thumbs up or do this to them as you go past. Or yeah, if yeah. someone's beating you or they coming past you, you literally wish them well because gotcha. you wish everybody all the very best. You hope you don't have a rough time, but you yeah. certainly wish everyone else does right. have a good time. Yep, yep, yep. So now another question that came up is that for athletes, let's say they have a race coming up in the next, on the same week, or let's say two to three weeks from now, 
Yes. Is there anything specific practices or what would you advise them in terms to like get into that state of flow, especially some athletes would be like either excited, nervous, scared, or just like, oh, can I still do it? So yeah. how can we keep it calm? Because as you know, a lot of our athletes are also have family work. So there's just so many things and it, it, it increases and increases. And we don't want to be overwhelming stress. We want it to be controlled stress, just right stress. So what would you advise them in terms of that term, that period of nearing to the race? Well, firstly, I would say, if we listen to the experts who have gone before us, such as uh, Mihaly Sixth Mihaly, he is telling you in no uncertain terms, here is a fourth or fifth part of a discipline of triathlon or any sport that you do is mm -hmm. to get yourself into the flow state consciously and with awareness. So number one, take a look at what he's written. Uh, check out the book, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, because when you think of it, optimal is the way we want to be authentic and optimal so that we do get the benefits of the fullness uh, of what comes back at us uh, race-wise, whether it's times or experiences or friends, the whole gamut. Um, and if you look at that and you say, well, these are what the experts are telling me. Why have they got a coach? Because a coach is an expert. They've been there or they know enough scientifically, et cetera, et cetera, to put a whole package together. But part of that package has got to be realizing you're carrying some stuff internally that is not helpful. It would be like, I'm giving you a bag of garbage and I want you to use that for your nutrition. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. once you say to yourself, I'm going to follow those people who have gone before because they're, my, they're the people who, who suffered and uh, brought about this wisdom, knowledge and experience. And so when you look at that, you say, well, what are the greatest stressors that are in life? The three greatest stressors are fear, pain and fear of more pain. And if you look at where do endorphins come from, there's six possibilities, three of which I wouldn't recommend, uh, pain, starvation, and childbirth. And the other three are exercise, laughter, and acupuncture or acupressure. So you see, even lightening up to the point where, yeah, it feels good to have a smile on my face. You always have a smile on your face, and I love to see that. You know, it, it's your attitude towards life as well. We know that even from a muscular Oh, a yeah. point of view, right? The facial muscles, they, they allow us literally to relax. So one of the things I suggest to clients if they're tightening up in here, for instance, and I, I recognize it from the body language, I'll ask sometimes, have you ever been an actor? Have you ever been in a play? Have you edit, yeah, ever done any drama? And I'll say to them, what I want you to do now, let's pretend I'm a director for a moment and I'm giving you a role. I want you to be a wet noodle. Just show me what it would be like for you to be a wet noodle. Because, if, yeah, literally you're a flop, right? And it's been proven that if someone remains in that state, no, you cannot have a strong emotion when you remain in that state. So I'm not asking people to go into a race as a wet noodle, of course, but I am saying it's a state of mind. And when you say, I've done all the work, I'm prepped, I'm ready. So what's the only thing left is me determining the mental state I now want to be in. So I can look around. I can wish everybody all the best. I can send prayers up to heaven, whatever I want to do to say thank you very much for getting me here. And thanking yourself for doing the training necessary uh, and, and having the supports you've had, you know, for getting through difficult times. But you're here. So celebrate that regardless of what may unfold. And if you look at the whole thing as a lesson, you're going to be doing 
very nicely. Celebrate regardless of what the outcome is. Do you guys hear that, Steve? Steve yes. is saying us great things that we, we could apply um, during training, the weeks before racing. And um, he, he even said about the wet noodle, don't be a wet noodle, <laughs> smile, <laughs> use the smile. And, keep, and you mentioned about a book, it says uh, Psychology of Optimism, that you recommend? It's a psychology of optimal experience. Optimal it's experience. Actually, but the first, okay. it's flow. The first okay. word is flow, the psychology gotcha. of optimal experience. Yeah. Okay. And, and you see in the end, what matters, it, it's not about the time you get that matters. It's about the time you had getting the time you get. One of my greatest experiences was yeah. doing my slowest ever time at IMAM by over six hours because I was with a friend who couldn't, he couldn't complete the event in 1986 because he had hip replacement. Gotcha. And then in um, 2007, when I was having uh, lung issues, uh, I said to my friend, if you still want to do Ironman, I'll do it with you. I'll do everything I can to get to your finish line. So he, he swam and he biked and I came off behind him and, and, and we walked. And we walked for seven hours, 38 minutes. Wow. And we were stopping, hugging, telling jokes, anything to get him through. And we finished 10 seconds ahead of Sister Madonna Buddha. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's She's a dear friend of ours. And don't forget, uh, she was the lady who, 82 years of age, wow. finished here in 1641. So, again, wow. she's amazing. And so you have to look at what's the mindset for someone like Sister Madonna. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, let me have a question here. So how would you be able to overcome physical pain? Yeah. cramps during a race is there a way for you to go through overcome a pain using your mindset uh, there is How but it obviously it depends on what the physical pain is i, I mean I, I don't suggest people do more damage although i've certainly done that uh, <laughs> one time i was in, a, in an event where i twisted my ankle before the start of it but it and i probably would have pulled out if it was a, if it was an individual event but it was a relay event so a friend of mine was a doctor and he got out his kit and he injected my foot so I couldn't feel anything. Um, now, you can't do that in a, in a triathlon or anything. So it depends on the physical pain. If it's something you've been through before um, and you know you eventually it will move on, uh, that's one thing. If it, if, again, if you call upon that independent expert observer part of you and if you've got a team and, and you mm -hmm. let them know what's going on, okay. There may be a very wise person there who knows exactly what to do. Maybe it's about some physical manipulation. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of work on pain and uh, I use uh, one of the things I use is emotional freedom technique. Emotional I often freedom. do that. I also, if you go on my website, I think I talk about performance in terms of four different things I do every single morning. They're, they're mm -hmm. sort of um, daily energy tune ups, as I call them. Uh, one is an adrenal massage. One is the upper lip uh, psychological reverse point. One is a neurolymphatic reflex point. And one is the side of the hand, the karate point, which is a small intestine point. Uh, and so if you, if yeah, uh, they'll be able to see that on there. It says it's under uh, something in performance. I forget the, what are psychological states and performance. So I've got an article there that describes those four things. So again, I, I can't fully answer it because I don't know. Gotcha. A person could have a migraine, for instance. You know, the problem is, I suppose they could ask themselves, um, is this something that I've had before? Is this something that tends to go away with time? Uh, 
am I willing to suffer? Is, is the end price worth it if I've got enough to get to the finish line? And so if you're caught in a situation like that, I always suggest to people, ask yourself, how are you going to be uh, uh, thinking or feeling about this the next day at work or wherever you are? Because you may be flying home on a plane or you're sitting with your peers. And let's say you stop and now you're saying, oh, I should have carried on. You see, yeah, that's not going to make you feel good. But let's say you made a very wise decision. You pulled out and a doctor says you absolutely did the right thing. Thank goodness you did because you're taking care of yourself. But let's say you pushed and pushed and pushed and you managed to get there. And even if it was six hours beyond, you may have come away not only knowing that you've gotten closer to 100%, that you went somewhere you've never been before, but you may have met friends along the route that you never... This happened to a friend of mine. He was suffering. He lives here in Penticton as well. I just saw him the other day, Carl. Um, And he was telling me one of his greatest races was his slowest one he ever did because he met a guy who was on his first loop when he was on his second. So he went around with this guy again to accompany him because the guy, it was obvious he would have dropped out otherwise. So he made a lifelong friend and that was a great value to anyone doing these events. So it really depends on the value of the person. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean just focus on the result, but some people it's more relationship, the bond, the experience. Those are the things that one would actually, you know, determine whether, how to deal with that circumstance. Um, Can I add one thing? Because you just just brought up something about values. There's, um, there's a great, a therapy it's called acceptance and commitment therapy mm-hmm. and there's a great piece in there which i really love i get people to identify their goals and their values and so whenever they come up with a question in their mind i ask them to just think is that sending me towards my goals and values or away from them and then if you are committed you know what you need to do you need to go towards i agree with you and I think it also has connection with the character of that person. Sometimes, it does. It does. Uh, a lot of times we need to listen to how we feel. And sometimes there's this discomfort, at least to me it happens. There's this discomfort or uneasiness whenever I'm not aligned to my character. I'm like, if I'm trying to do achieve something, but it's not aligned to my character or what I believe in, then that's when I actually revisit, am I actually in this, is this something that's, where I'm, I want to be. So those are the yes, questions. Absolutely. I, um, to sort of give you another understanding of um, where I come from, I, there was a great article that I, I, I put it in my book as well because I was so impressed with it. It was in uh, Athletics Weekly and it was again a gentleman by uh, the name of Derek Parker. It was in the Veterans Athletics magazine. This was in 1997. And I really liked this because what he said was when physical attributes such as speed, stamina, strength, suppleness, and skill are virtually equal, the advantage in a closely contested race lies with the athlete who has the better mental edge. The objective of psychological preparation is optimal arousal of the athlete's mental, physical, and spiritual resources, along with a realistic assessment of his or her capabilities and training or racing goals. Self-oriented thoughts such as the fear of finishing last or not running up to expectations are negative, destructive, and purposeless. Conversely, task-oriented thoughts are constructive, positive, and purposeful. They reduce anxiety, fear, and stress levels. They enable the athlete to fulfill his or her potential and to do justice in training efforts. I love that. He perfectly encapsulated it. 
I think it also reminds us to be in the in, to be in the process, to be in the moment, that task oriented that you just mentioned. Absolutely. And whenever we start thinking of what other people would say or what the outcome or possible failure at the end, that actually yeah. causes more stress and anxiety. Well, yeah, if you think about worry itself, worry when we're putting the energy out is actually praying for what we don't want. Yep. Yep. And then now you, you end up focusing on the negative when in fact you should be focusing on problem solving how yep. to get to that result, right? Yep, yep absolutely. Awesome. John Wooden said things work out best for those who make the best of how things work out. Love John Wooden. Thanks for saying that. Are you guys getting this one? There's so many people actually, even Gerald from Dublin, Ireland, actually on at 1 a.m. in the morning where he's at right now. So thank you so much. If you're listening to this, if you don't mind, I have a couple more questions here, Steve. You so um, what was your driving force? Is it about you, Steve? What was your driving force or desire for completing so many events? Travel, would it be travel, family, competition, your own self-confidence? What would be your driving force? Uh, I am not a, a person who, I don't like conflict of any sort, I must admit, uh, but they say we're all warriors, and uh, I suppose that's where the warrior part of me could come out. I didn't want to be a warrior, I wanted to be a warrior of some sort, and so any of that type of stuff, um, I'm non-political, uh, sure I get, I get motivated, but I, I'm uh, someone who really enjoys the spiritual nature, the physical aspect, the mental aspect, uh, the planning that goes into some of these things. But most of all, it's my tribe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we can have a number of tribes, but for me, right. this is a very important one that actually probably helped me get through uh, childhood, to be honest with you. Yeah. Nice. That's why you know a lot of wisdom in the history of the and sports, Steve. Awesome. Um, next thing. Um, so in terms of your, how do you go by your daily schedule? How does daily schedule of common day for you, Steve? Well, a typical day because I'm here Monday to Friday in uh, prior to the pandemic, um, uh, probably 45 to 50 times a year, I'm at races on the weekend. It depends where the race is. If it's abroad, if it's somewhere like Australia, um, New Zealand, uh, Hawaii, then I usually take a week to go to those places. Same with Florida and same with Arizona coming up, etc. Um, quite a few of the events are in British Columbia or close to my hometown, uh, but lots of them across uh, Canada as well. Um, so I may leave work at 4.30 on a Friday, may catch a plane at six o'clock, that sort of stuff. Um, and I come back Friday evening, Monday morning, really early, come to work. I've got, I've got plenty of energy and I'm pleased I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't sleep very much. And if I'm, if I'm not sleeping much, I, I, I turn that around as well. I did that years ago because I know a lot of people get stressed about that. Because I'm moving on in years, I see that as a bonus almost now. So I get up and I do something. I'm active or I do something. And I, I'll say, thank you. I've got time to get on the treadmill right now. I've got time to write an article right now. Yeah. I, I, again, I think your mindset. Yes, it's a little upsetting. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a little more sleep but maybe sure. I'm going to be on a plane or something and I can make up for it there. And, yeah. and I, I'm well aware that sleep is very important. So I'm not suggesting or recommending, but I'm saying sometimes uh, we have what we have. I've got a lot of adrenaline um, 
And but I also have a lot of motivation and uh, enthusiasm. Even the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek enthus, which means to be with God, which really means to be with yourself. Sure. There's one's authenticity. So tell me, uh, you said about being with yourself. How, how do you do like how do you practice your mind, mindset while you're being with yourself? What are the practices that you, you usually do on a daily basis? Well, I mentioned the four things that I do there. I also believe in a Hawaiian way of forgiveness, which is Ho'oponopono. Okay. And I utilize that throughout the day. That's, it's not that I have anyone to forgive. It's more like making myself at peace with the universe. Wow. Um, because there are some things we can do nothing about. So sure. I want to focus my energies where they can be used. I like to motivate people. I, I like to uh, encourage and support people. Uh, I love to see people achieve their true potential because I see a lot of wounded souls in here. Sure. And what's nice is when you see that person just flourishing because yeah. I've seen that many, many times or yeah. they've achieved something they never thought was possible. You know, as well as I do, how many people have come and sort of they're intimidated uh, uh, with running with a certain crew or a certain pace or <laughs> looking at a certain distance or a certain race. And then two or three years later, they're, they're just blossoming and they're, they're saying, I think I'll do this next. Or they're looking at something weird, wacky and, <laughs> and huge, you know, something they would never have contemplated years ago. And I think that's incredible when you see that. I, I love what you say. So what you do is actually have the forgiveness. Yes. And then the next thing is uh, to celebrate others' achievement. It's not really necessarily about you, but it's actually oh, no. looking about others. And I think I, what I love the most is that, you know, forgiveness in a, in a way that just being at peace because a lot of other things are we, we're, we're out of control. And yeah. uh, I think those are the things that uh, our athletes, our endurance athletes, our community needs to be reminded of because there are times they're like, I want a PR, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but then there are times that we just really, you know, we put our best out there mm -hmm. and that is all we can do and then learn from it and accept whatever outcome that would be. Absolutely. There's awesome. a guy called uh, Doc Childre who's from HeartMath and he said, appreciation and gratitude are a must if you choose to become the architect of increased happiness and yep. your own fulfillment. And so again, even, even if we never contemplated that before, just knowing that means we could choose to incorporate that. Yep. It, it's like I've experienced so many wonderful things. I have um, what I would have considered miracles years ago. Now I expect them on a daily basis. Yep. Well, the thing is that when you're appreciating and you're in the world of gratitude, you're never going to be in a negative state. <laughs> that is positive. <laughs> well, it doesn't, yeah, and you're right. It doesn't mean that negative things aren't going to happen. But sure. it means, can you learn to surf them as opposed to do molehill mountain climbing or, go. you know, constantly have this sort of state of flux or crisis or chaos going on? Steve, you have so much wisdom that you're giving to us. We're actually one hour. <laughs> I wish we do have you more. But I want to ask you, um, for our endurance athletes, what are the top three things that you would advise them. I know you have so much already and I've been taking notes on the side here actually. We're gonna put all the things that I've, the notes that I've taken, but what are the top three things that you would advise for athletes to achieve their state of flow? I would suggest you look at my video on YouTube, which okay. is uh, my daily 
my daily tune-ups only is like they're just the ones I do. I didn't invent them. I have um, sure. I, I, I had no financial interest in them. It's just that I found over the years, um, there's also a thing called collarbone breathing. I can certainly show people how to do that. Um, uh, I think I've got that on video as well. In and YouTube? that, uh, it, I can show you if you've got two minutes here. Okay. Collarbone um, breathing is something that um, I do every single morning. And if I'm doing immediate trauma work with someone, I always get them to do this first. It's a setup for your system. It's also a setup if anyone was doing weightlifting, swimming, anything that requires extra upper body strength, I will do a pre-test before we do this and then a post-test. And they always notice a, a big difference. difference. So do you want me to demonstrate it? Oh, yeah, please, please. Yes. Okay. So you take, and again, I realize this looks wacky. So I'm asking you to humor me. It's something okay. I've been doing since 1993. And wow. it, it just, it, I find it mind boggling, but you have to be consistent with it. That's all. Um, so you take, and I do this first thing in the morning because we never know whether our system has flipped over during the night because the body cannot tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So we could have had an unpleasant dream, nightmare, that sort of thing. And our body's sure. flipped over. We could be in a toxic environment or mm -hmm. having toxic thoughts. Same thing happens. So you, can you see me clearly all right yeah. here? Yep. You take yep. two okay. fingers from one hand and you go across to okay. the other side. Here is the collarbone okay. and you place the fingers underneath the collarbone. Okay. That's it. And then you take two fingers from your other hand and you place them between the little finger and the next finger. Like this. Right between the little finger and the next finger. Mm-hmm. So this is called the triple heat draw, triple warmer. If you do acupuncture or acupressure, you tap there. Oh, and as you tap, you take a nice deep breath and you hold the breath. You let go of half of that breath. Then you let go. You take a few seconds, then let go of the rest of the breath. And then after a few seconds, you breathe in just half a breath. You just hold that for a few seconds. Then you stop the tapping. You relax, breathe normally. Then you take your other hand. You go across to the other side. So, so it's that's it. Yep, two fingers under the collarbone. Same place to tap between the little finger and the next finger. I'm right. And as it. as you're tapping, take a nice deep okay. breath and hold it. Let go of half of it. Let go of the other half and breathe in half a breath. Good, you do that for a few seconds, then you just relax, stop the tapping. So you've been across from right to left and left to right. Now you do homolaterally, which means same side. So you can take okay. the right hand and you put the two on your right hand on your right side. It doesn't matter which order you do these. So you hold it in the same place, two fingers under the collarbone, same place to tap between the little finger and the next finger. Okay. Yeah, good. And again, when you're ready, take a nice deep breath and hold it. Let go of half of it. Let go of the other half. And breathe in half. Good. And relax. Breathe normally. And then the last place would be your left hand on your left side. Same thing under the collarbone. Same place to tap between the little finger and the next finger. And again, when you're ready, take a nice deep breath and hold it. Let go of half of it. Let go of the other half. 
and breathe in half. And relax. And there's one other thing I'm going to show you because uh, it, it fits. It's the next part of what I do. It's called an adrenal zip up or adrenal massage. It's a zip up. I'm going to stand up for this. Uh, okay. So here you put a finger either side of the belly button okay. and you literally draw, the, draw it up to underneath the chin here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you have to take it away from your body. Otherwise you're dragging it down. So you it literally like that. Now, the reason for that is because, remember I said about your energy flipped up? This is a correction of that. No, so let's say, let's say there's no problem. You're fine. It's doing no harm to do that. So before I do both of those with a client, I may test. Remember I said about a pre-test? Yeah. So I may get them to hold <clears throat> in that position and do a muscle response test where you're pressing gently but firmly to see the resistance. So you do that on both arms, right? You hold it there. So you do that before you get them to do the collarbone breathing. And then you test again afterwards and you'll see a massive difference. I will definitely test it. Well, what, what is happening is energy is now flowing throughout your system, including oxygen, getting to the blood, through the blood brain barrier. So you want energy to be flowing everywhere, especially when you're in a race. You don't want things locking up and tightening up gotcha. simply because you've sent a thought there, a negative thought. It's just more of like releasing your energy, right? Yes. And yes. I think it also is good because I was more focused on my breathing. Right. And then it's more focused because I'm doing this repetitive instead of whatever is in my head, but it's more of my body, my connection yeah. to the body. So I, I mean, just doing that, I'm like, ah, I'm just relaxed yeah. now, Steve. <laughs> this is what we need. Right. I think, um, I think uh, that that's very good. It's, it, you said collarbone breathing. And collarbone breathing. Us. Yes. All right. And then we'll, it's, have, it, it is, it, it is designed for what they call neurological disorganization. Awesome. Good stuff. And uh, it enables us then to be the creative composers of our own consciousness, which is what I love when we're, we're fully conscious and aware and we're composing our own life as much as we possibly can. Nice. Well, Steve, that's a lot of method methods that you've actually mentioned to us from the, uh, the tune-ups that you mentioned in YouTube, the adrenal zip-ups, all, <laughs> all those quotations and motivational things. Um, so if, if anyone wants to check them out, because I've got collarbone breathing, I believe on a YouTube, I'm sure I do. It's under Mr. Run Steve, and that's a capital okay. M for Mr. And, uh, Run Steve. Yeah, okay. uh, M, Mr. Run Steve, and uh, it's capital M, R, lowercase, and then capital R, and everything else is lowercase. And well, you'll see some of the videos there to explain we'll, some of we'll, that. We'll definitely get those links to share to everyone. Well, Steve, if anyone has additional questions, either Ultraman, Ironman, your experience, you as a registered clinical counselor or as a good friend. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? Well, yeah, you can check out my website or give me a, a, an email or drop me an email at stking at vip.net. If you go to the top of that, you'll see at the bottom there, yeah, at okay. the bottom of that introduction, you see my number is there. Right That's here. my telephone number and my uh, my email address. Wow. You guys get access to Steve plus all this valuable information that he had already put together. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Well, you're very um, welcome. 
and I'm sure we'll be in touch again. <laughs> and hopefully to, to see you in Ultraman one of these days or years. But thank you, thank you. Everyone, if you have heard this one as a very valuable information, please share it to your friends and family because uh, Steve is the king. Steve King! <laughs> <laughs> the legend and the, a lot of wisdom here. Thanks a lot, Steve. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Take care. All right.